The full power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is contained in the Book of Mormon, period. Remember this declaration by Jesus himself. Whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. And in the last days, neither your heart nor your faith will fail you. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 189 of the Book of Mormon podcast. As always, you have Kevin and Shelby. Hi everyone. And we are so excited to dive in to chapter 24 of 35. Last episode, we talked about the Isaiah chapters in 35. And this week, we're going to talk about a Malachi chapter. Now, the question is, why is Jesus Christ now quoting Malachi? Well, one, if I may, one really good reason is that the Nephites would not have had the words of Malachi. Malachi lived and prophesied around 430 BC, and Lehi and his family left Jerusalem around 600 BC. And so it is really important that the Nephites get this crucial, these crucial prophecies about the coming of the Lord in order to record, of course, put it into their, into their record, right? It also teaches them something about their, their brethren, their ancestors, if you will. Um, maybe that offshoot, because it's not their direct ancestors, but, you know, that offshoot of the, the Jewish people who remained in, in and around Jerusalem um, after Lehi left. Yeah, I never thought of it like that, um, but I love that. I love that historical context. Uh, if we can dive into verse 1, the thing that I underlined ooh, that stood out to me the most was he says he's going to command them to write the words of Malachi um, that he's about to tell them. And then it says, and it came to pass that after they were written, he expounded them. And I wrote in my margins, and there's still more left to this verse. So I'm like pausing in the middle of the verse. But I put work first, understand later. And I think why I wrote that was because <laughs> they had to write them first, right? Like it's a lot how we study the Book of Mormon ourselves. We'll do like one first read through of no pausing or no like going and following footnotes yet. We just read it first to get a basis of an understanding of what's going on, like very basic. And then after that first read through, we go back and we then try to expound the scriptures ourselves, right? We try to have the spirit teach us and expound things unto us. And so that's of what he's doing here. They were written first and now, and then they were expounded, right? And I don't know if we get the is this the expounded version that's written or is this the written version? Because I'm thinking this is what was written. 
and then they got some other expounded teachings on it that we don't have. Right. I would think. Well, I don't know that for sure. It's not doctrine. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, it's, it's obvious that. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I think I might've answered my question. And these are the words which he did tell unto them saying, so this is, we do get the expounded part. I don't know because I didn't, I didn't look at Malachi chapter three and 35 chapter 24 side by side. Gotcha. I don't know what is different and what is the same. So that will be a good study for anyone interested. Um, Are there any expoundations? It's pretty much the same. That's what I thought. So I think we don't get the expounded part, but that's okay because the spirit can teach us. So good learning. Anyway, just a learning uh, setup for me here in the beginning of chapter 24. Right. And of course, this isn't all that Jesus is going to speak to them. Obviously, we have about seven more chapters in 3rd Nephi. So I think he's going to continue to teach them. And then, like you said, we have the Book of Mormon podcast. And so we can offer some expounding of these scriptures. So that's what we're going to do today. Now, I took I took a different approach to studying this chapter. It's funny because what I did, I went to the Old Testament Institute student manual and I followed each of the headings and then read the associated verses. The only reason that that was helpful and possible is because it really didn't skip any verses in the chapter. And so every single verse had something said about it in the manual. That is not always the case. And so it was, it was a blessing. And I think there are a couple of really powerful nuggets that I was able to pull out of the the student manual that I, I prepared to share on the podcast today. First thing, first things first, Malachi actually means my messenger. And so Malachi himself was a Elias and an Elias is a title in the scriptures, someone who prepares the way for someone else. And generally, an Elias is always preparing the way for the Savior. Not always before his appearance and actual coming. For example, John the Baptist was an Elias. He was actually a literal forerunner or preparer, uh, a messenger even, paving the way for Jesus Christ to come. A couple of other Eliases uh, include Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith was also an Elias because he prepared the way for the Lord to come. And so that's one thing to take into consideration. The record of Malachi that we have here, it's speaking also of Latter-day events. And so 
Malachi is simultaneously, you know, living in the 400 BC, he could have been seen as an Elias for a meridian of time coming of Christ. But because he references Latter-day prophecies as well, he's actually like a retroactive Latter-day Elias. <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs> so he's an Elias. He's a, a messenger as well for the second coming. And that's what he talks about here in verse 1. It says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye, whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. So we have two messengers here, right? That's interesting. But if we do a little bit of digging, we understand who these messengers are. So if I can ask, I thought that when it says even the messenger of the covenant, it's implying that also Malachi is even the messenger of the covenant, implying one, not two. So teach me. Sure. This is from the student manual. Uh, it actually is a quote from Bruce R. McConkie, and it talks about how Jesus Christ is called the messenger of the covenant because he mediates the gospel of salvation unto men. This is his exact quote. Our Lord is the messenger of the covenant. He came in his father's name, bearing his father's message to fulfill the covenant of the father that a redeemer and savior would be provided for men. Now that's, if you read this carefully, it's saying, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. So the Lord whom ye seek is even the messenger of the covenant. Okay? That first messenger, who's going to prepare the way before the Lord who ye seek, well, it, it can be multiple people, right? It can be in the days of the first apostles. It can be John the Baptist. In the latter days, it can be Joseph Smith. It could be multiple people. It just depends on when you are, um, when these prophecies are being, you know, in effect. So similar to Isaiah's writings, they can sometimes apply to many different time periods, many different settings, things like that. Thank you for clarifying and answering my question because I can't be the only one. <laughs> so I would love to, this is just such a long verse that also I did some studying in the Institute Manual, but the Book of Mormon side, I think you did Old Testament, which is fine because it's Malachi. Um, but I wanted to read a little bit about when it says the Lord shall suddenly come to his temple. Mm. Uh, and I'm just going to read quotes. And Kevin's talked about this a little bit, but I'm going to go ahead and read it anyway. And I like the part at the end. So it says, It was partially fulfilled when the Lord appeared in the Kirtland Temple on April 3rd, 1836, meaning that he would suddenly come to his temple at the beginning of this dispensation. It is partially fulfilled each time the Savior comes to any of his temples. 
that will also be partially fulfilled as part of the second coming when the earth will be cleansed from wickedness and become a celestial abode. Hence, the earth will be appropriately referred to as a temple of the Lord. And then it cites DNC 88.25, so modern day revelation. And so I thought that was really cool that the phrase suddenly shall come suddenly to his temple um, happens multiple times throughout the dispensation, right? Or at least the latter days. Like I guarantee you the Lord did not just show up in April 3rd and has never come back again. <laughs> He's coming uh, probably multiple times to our, our prophet and his apostles or whoever's chosen right at that time to, to see him and know of him. And what's really cool about it is that it's also fulfilled in the second coming when the earth then turns into a celestial paradise and then the earth is known as his temple of the Lord. So I thought that was really cool about that verse as well. Yeah, definitely. And if you're wondering about these multiple comings of the Lord, right? Malachi, he addresses this, the great and terrible day, which is the the day when the Lord returns in full force to, to become uh, and reign as king over the earth, okay? He references it saying in verse 2, But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? So there's a difference between these appearances that the Lord will make and has made in his temples and to his chosen servants and the day when every tongue will confess and every knee shall bow. So that's that's an important distinction there as well. I like the phrase in verse 2, like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. I feel like this is something I'm constantly learning and being reminded of, of what that actually means. And I'm just going to read what that means really quick in, in a mix from some quotes here. It says, a refiner is a man who separates the precious metals from the dross with which is in nature. They are usually found mixed. So part of the process consists in the application of great heat in order to bring the mass into a fluid state. So hence the term refiner's fire. I think we all kind of know what that one means. Um, and the savior is obviously like a refiner. Elder Bruce R. McConkie said his mission is to cleanse, purify, and refine the human soul so that it can return to the, his father's kingdom in purity free from dross. Or I would say dross uh, as it's defined any type of... Um, imperfection or something that's worthless or rubbish is the, the actual definition. And then when it comes to a fuller's, it says that fuller's work was to cleanse garments and whiten them through the use of soap. And so the atonement of Jesus Christ acts like fuller's soap to cleanse us from our sins and prepare us to stand pure and spotless before the judgment seat. So both of these things being a refiner's fire and a fuller soap are put together in order to prepare us to return back to our Heavenly Father's presence. And his atonement allowed us to be able, or can allow us if we choose, to be able to come back into his presence, the Father's presence, because of the Savior, Jesus Christ. So I just really love that that phrase. And 
every time I relearn it, I'm really grateful that I relearned it. And one of these days is going to stick in my brain and I'm going to be able to teach it without having to go back and look up what it is. But it really is a wonderful phrase that is said in Malachi and also in the book Warren. Yeah. All of this refinement is in order to to prepare the offering, right? To make an offering really to the Father, right? Because he is our God. And Jesus Christ, he is responsible for our earth, right? He's the, he's the God of our world. And so it talks about the offering that will be made. It says that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. And verse 4, then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. And so this is an interesting mention of an offering. And I thought that I would I would actually share this excerpt from uh, Joseph Smith. And it's a little bit long, but I think it's interesting. And so I want to share it. And it's not, this isn't a very long chapter. So I feel like we have some time to kind of talk about a little bit more and go into some more details. So there is more than one meaning for the offering in righteousness to be made by the sons of Levi at or near the second coming of the Lord. Now, with regard to animal sacrifice, which was the mode of sacrifice um, before the coming of Jesus Christ, according to the law of Moses, Joseph Smith said, quote, it is generally supposed that sacrifice was entirely done away when the great sacrifice, i.e. the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, was offered up, and that there will be no necessity for the ordinance of sacrifice in the future. But those who assert this are certainly not acquainted with the duties, privileges, and authority of the priesthood or with the prophets. <laughs> so it's pretty, pretty bold. The offering of sacrifice has been, has ever been connected and forms a part of the duties of the priesthood. It began with the priesthood and will be continued until after the coming of Christ from generation to generation. We frequently have mention made of the offering of sacrifice by the servants of the Most High in ancient days, prior to the Law of Moses. Which ordinances will be continued when the priesthood is restored, with all its authority, power, and blessings? Now, I'll take a moment to, to rest there. The, this idea of a restoration of all things, right? And also points to an ongoing restoration. And so now with that being said, it is not to be understood, this is from Joseph Smith, that the law of Moses will be established again with all its rites and variety of ceremonies. And that's the end of the quote. So there's going to be another offering, another type of offering made. Um, one of them is an offering of our individual broken hearts and contrite spirits in that we are covenanting with Jesus Christ and entering into his fold. Shelby, I know that you have a desire to now talk about another offering. <laughs> well, 
yeah, Kevin could see me put my hand up like I want to talk. So this whole, that whole uh, verse is linked to DNC chapter 13, which talks about the, um, the conferring of the priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood and the Melchizedek priesthood, right? Um, and, oh, sorry, the Aaronic priesthood are set forth in, in DNC chapter 13. And so with that being said, uh, priesthood keys are key in this offering somehow, and Aaronic priesthood administers baptism, right? And so I believe, and there's other scriptures that I cannot say right now. <laughs> However, I do know that this offering is also an offering of our family history. Um, it's an offering of the connection of all of our human family, all the way back to Adam and Eve. <laughs> and there's an offering of that to be given as well, an accounting. And it's only done through the priesthood, right? Through the temples. Yeah. And so I think that also has reference to the book of remembrance, which is discussed later in this chapter. Mm -hmm. You know, this record of, of names, which are written in the book of life. And, you know, we are record keeping people. Say last week we talked about records right so they're important and there's a reason we have like huge record storage <laughs> and with that being said you know my mind obviously goes to the temple and just the meticulous keeping of those records and the the sometimes the tedium <laughs> that is taken to make sure that things are recorded correctly and if there's any doubt that an ordinance was not done, you know, correctly, well, let's just go ahead and do it again, right? And so there, there is that part of it as well. It has to be this, this high quality offering. And again, like Joseph Smith said, it's not an offering of an unblemished lamb or this firstling of your flock. It is equal to that but in a latter day setting so verse number five i i like this verse because it talks about the i guess the mind of the lord or the attitude of the lord at his coming so he says and i will come near to you to judgment and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against false swearers and against those that oppress the hireling and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. So all these various people who are committing some kind of iniquity, right? Whether it be a kind of a, a sin of commission where they are working in in wickedness and iniquity or omission where maybe they're neglecting their duties as in their duties to the widow and the fatherless the orphans and that is going to be the attitude of the lord at, at that great and terrible day the people who did not live up to every covenant that they made including to mourn with those that mourn and, and stand as a witness of him, 
he's going to be a witness against their iniquity and their wickedness. So I thought that was powerful. I really like the next verse where it says, for I am the Lord, I change not. (laughs) And I love that. I love that promise that he is our Lord and our savior and he does not change his. And what I believe he means by that is his, his doctrine, his, his gospel, his mercy, his love, his justice, his atonement. That does not change, which is why he then says, therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed, right? Like, because of all these things that I have set into place, I do not forget my children, you will not be consumed. Like, you will not be a part of these people who I come swiftly for, right? Those who are keeping my covenants, remembering me and looking for me, I will be there, right? Which leads me to verse seven, which Kevin, if you have anything to say, let me know. But it says, even from the days of your fathers, you're gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. So there's a history of turning away from the covenants of the Lord. We can see that in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, etc. And then it says, return unto me and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. And then he poses a question and we'll talk about that in a second. But I really love that he, that phrase, return unto me and I will return unto you, right? I am never going to not come back to you. However, you do have to turn to me first and I'm not going to force you, right? I'm going to let you have your agency, but when you are ready to return unto me, I will return unto you and meaning those ordinances, right? Return unto the ordinances. Even if you've made ordinances and you've, or sorry, if you've made covenants and you've gone away from them, come back to me right? Return unto me and I will return those promises and those blessings unto you. Yeah, absolutely. That that actually pulls me, pulls me down to verse 13 and 14. But to your point, from the Old Testament student manual, I wanted to, to cite this one paragraph. It says, one truth about covenant relationships is that both parties must observe their promise, promises in order to keep the covenant in force. It says, sometimes when those lacking faith lose promised blessings, they blame the Lord. But the Lord is God. He never breaks a promise. One other thing that I forgot to mention earlier about Malachi is his prophecies and his his dictation to the people of Israel in ancient times, as well as the things that he poses to us in the latter days has a lot to do with people. As I mentioned before, living below, living below their privilege as people, as chosen people, as the children of Israel with all of the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob fully available to them. If they remember the Lord, their God, right? In as much as they keep the commandments, they can prosper in the land that they live in and in the time that they live in. God is no respecter of persons. So that's important to realize about Malachi is that he's addressing people who, as well as the overtly wicked people, the sorcerers, the adulterers, the false swears, as we mentioned earlier, He's also talking to those who are kind of below the line. He reminds them 
in verse 12, and all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. So returning back up to verse 7, where we, we left, off. left off, at this point, the Lord, through Malachi, engaged Judah in a series of questions and answers. He said they have strayed from his ordinances, and he begs them to return. Quote, wherein shall we return, they ask. He replies that they have robbed him, even God. Again, they question, wherein have we robbed thee? To which he replies, in tithes and offerings. Therefore, he says that they are cursed with a curse. So, again, perhaps people who are just living below their privileges, and they are omitting some of the righteous principles that they know are to be observed as, as covenant people. So in verse 10, he's commanding them to bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. So it's for a purpose, right? And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out, pour you out blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And we, we are fairly familiar with this verse of scripture when it comes to tithing, but it also, I think, reminds us again of the character of God and the character of Christ and more over the, that covenant relationship where if you do what you're supposed to do, if you offer up your sacrifice, then the Lord will pay you back tenfold, right? And if I might add, it's not just offering the sacrifice, it's the intention behind the sacrifice too. Because hmm. anybody who listened to that could say, well, I pay my tithing and I'm not blessed. And maybe it's because your heart's not in the right place. Right? Maybe it's because your intention of paying your tithing is not to have the Lord prove you, but you're trying to prove the Lord wrong or something. Right? Like, I don't know. If, you're, if your heart is not right, what profiteth the man that giveth a gift with no real intent? Right? Nothing. That's from Moroni chapter 7. So you might as well not even give it because you're not giving it with real intent. So I just want to add that ca caveat on there that we do have to have real intent behind what we're doing and that we're acting in faith when we do these things. And when we're proving Christ, we're proving him with faith, right? We're acting on faith that his promises of what he said will be true and that we will do them. In verse 13, Malachi, he says, your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. So I thought about that and, and I thought about the stout words <laughs> and well we'll continue we'll we'll read this for this 14th verse as well um you have said it is vain to serve god and what doth it profit that we have kept this ordinances kept his ordinances and that we have walked mournfully before the lord of hosts so this is kind of going back not only to maybe a lack of real intent, but also the, the, the issue of, Hey, I've, 
I've kept all his ordinances. I've paid my tithes and offerings. And yet I'm no, I'm no better than the people who do not give any tithes and offerings. And so I'm going to read this from the student manual. It's really, it's really powerful. It says the difficulty as described by Malachi is that the critics of the Lord have twisted the truth. They question the prophet stemming from observing the ordinances of the Lord and maintain that it is vain to serve God. They see inequity when the wicked prosper and those who work evil are elevated, and they blame the Lord for permitting such things to exist. Thus, their words of criticism are stout against the Lord. And it gave a, a story of President Kimball, and he had a, a lady, a sister, who came to him complaining a little bit about how, you know, she and the people that she knew who were righteous, covenant-keeping people oftentimes were less well-off than those who were, according to the scriptures and according to the teachings of the prophets, wicked. And she, she had issue reconciling that. Well, first off, there are blessings in store for those who keep the covenants. Not always as tangible as maybe in worldly terms. And of course, there are eternal blessings to be had. But President Kimball, he referenced the blessing of her family and the children who love righteousness and would not love wickedness. And so they would be, they would live after the manner of happiness in not so many words, um, as opposed to those who, who live after the manner of the world. Yeah. And I think that's a lesson that we all come to learn <laughs> at one point or another in our, in our conversion to Jesus Christ in his gospel. Cause even I have had struggles, right? Like mm. you start to think a little bit more temporally than you do celestially. And that kind of causes a little bit of the comparison game, which when you compare, you always fail, right? So compare and despair. That's what Bishop Bear always used to say in the BYU-Idaho 63rd Ward um, in 2014, I think it was. 2012, sorry, 2012. But shout out to Bishop Bear over there. Uh, but anyway, I just think that that's important to remember too, that they're living in a world of comparison too. And that never profits anybody any good, whether you're comparing yourself because you're better off or whether you're comparing yourself because you're lesser than. They both don't win. And so thank you for sharing that quote. It was a really good quote. I want to jump to the end because you kind of just talked about uh, verses like 15 through 15 there. Um, 16, it says, then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard, and a book of remembrance was written before him from them that feared the Lord, and that thought upon his name. So that book of remembrance we talked about earlier, and I'm going to go ahead and, oh, did we read that already? No. Oh, I want to go ahead and read something. I thought we read it already. Uh, Kevin tagged it for us. It says, well, we're talking about fearing the Lord here. It says, fearing the Lord can have two meanings. And this is just a refresher for everybody. You can fear God, or sorry, to fear God is to feel reverence and awe for him and to obey his commandments. And two, 
To fear man, mortal dangers, pain, and evil is to be afraid of such things and to dread them. So there's two meanings there. And obviously we want to fear the Lord in a reverent and respectful way. Uh, however, if we can move, do you have anything else to say about verse 16? I really want to move on to verse 17. Um, cause I loved the student manual for this and the quote that was shared. And I really want to read it, but we'll read the scripture first. Verse 17. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. And, you know, when there's the word jewels in the scriptures, <laughs> I was like, ooh, what does he mean by jewels? I want to be a jewel. So this the Book of Mormon student manual actually gives like a whole quote on what this means. So I'm going to read it. So if you want to know how to become a jewel of the Lord, this is how. It says, a jewel is a precious stone measured by its intrinsic and extrinsic value in the marketplace. Malachi and other prophets use the imagery of jewels symbolically to refer to people who, quote, feared the Lord, which we just talked about what that meant. Continuing quote, those who show respect for him keep his ordinances and have their names in a book of remembrance. Thus, to become one of the Lord's jewels, you must faithfully keep the covenants associated with every ordinance, regardless of worldly pressure. By doing this, you show that you love the Lord and your name will be recorded in the book of remembrance. And I just love that. I want to be part of the Lord's jewels. Like I want to be a crowning jewel. And I think that a lot of I don't know if the men want to be jewels, but I think a lot of the women listening might, might like this whole analogy because I like jewelry. And so it just shows that you just have to be faithful and you have to fear the Lord and respect and reverence to him and show him that you love him and that you want to follow him. That's what President Nelson just gave a whole talk on that, right? About how we choose. The Lord respects our agency and we ultimately choose where we want to live. And I know that I want to be one of the Lord's jewels at the last day. It will be very easy to, to reference verse 18, which I'll go ahead and read. Then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. So, as I was saying before that, it will be very easy to tell those jewels from you know the the dull emotionless or the dull glass of the world in the day of fire <laughs> right or the counterfeit jewels let's pull on this analogy a little bit right like there's jewels that are measured by their intrinsic and extrinsic value in the marketplace, right? And there's also counterfeit things that look like jewels. However, they're not real, right? They're, the value isn't real if you're pulling on this analogy. And so that's also an ability to discern between that because someone can look it, but it doesn't mean that that's actually it. So you have to look at the fruit. Right. So. Well, and when I taught, when, when I referenced this idea, it's not just our ability to discern, it is the Lord. The Lord will be able to discern among his people who are the counterfeit jewels, who, you know, put themselves up in pride 
to be shiny to the world. Um, and those who are the true disciples of Jesus Christ, who shine more brilliantly because of their faithfulness and obedience to the commandments, their desire, or frankly, their love. They love the Lord, and that's why they do what they do. And our love of the Lord is always going to be more bright than the actual actions that we do. So, yeah. Well, that's the end of the chapter. That's how it ends. Next week, we'll be in chapter 25, which compares Malachi 4. So today we did Malachi 3, and then tomorrow will be Malachi 4. However... I'm sorry, not tomorrow, the next episode. However, as I usually do, I don't always like to end it right at the end of the chapter, because sometimes we miss a little bit. So I want to go over into that first verse of chapter 25. It says, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Now, throughout this last chapter, we talked about a refiner's fire. We talked about jewels. We talked about rising up and and being a jewel, right? As opposed <laughs> to being, you know, that, that just glass or whatever, or counterfeit jewel. And so... You know, there, there really is a day of judgment coming. And that's not to scare anyone. It's, it's told to us in the scriptures. It's cried in general conference and, and throughout all time. This is Malachi. This is 430 BC. Okay. That's over 2,400 years ago. So a day of judgment really is coming. It's not a secret. And so we have to prepare for that day. We have to do the things that will prepare us for that day. And that way, the Lord, when he discerns between those who serve God and those who do not, those who love him and those that do not, it will be, we will be safe from that, that fire. Hmm. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah. But as always, we appreciate y'all listening and we invite you to join the conversation, whether it be messaging us on Facebook or Instagram. You can find us personally on Facebook, Kevin Stanfield, Shelby Stanfield, or at the Book of Mormon podcast on Instagram. Those are the best places to get us. Yep, here. So let us hear from you. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week for episode 190. We're only 10 away. Bye. My dear brothers and sisters, I promise that as you prayerfully study the Book of Mormon every day, you will make better decisions every day. I promise that as you ponder what you study, the windows of heaven will open and you will receive answers to your own questions and direction for your own life.